Hello, I'm Paul Bristol and I'm working with the Scottish Communities Climate Action Network to find and share stories of community-led climate action. As we live through and continue to cope with the ongoing pandemic, there's been lots of talk around a new normal. For the first time, many of us have started to question what was so normal about how we lived before anyway. And there's an increased interest in the space where climate action meets social justice. A green and just recovery, universal basic income, ideas once out in the fringes, maybe finding their time. The next few months and years will see a battle to frame and tell that story, to make those changes. We need to take this opportunity to show how what we've seen in these last few months can help us imagine better and continue to make the case for action on the climate emergency. And so I want to learn more. Sometimes it maybe feels like everyone's just ploughing their own furrow, out in a limb, just getting on with it. But the collective effort across the country is remarkable. So over the next few months, I'm speaking to people and communities across Scotland to hear their stories of climate action, of hope and change. From big changes to small steps. I want to hear it all. And then together, we can look beyond the new normal to something better. Today, I'm reaching the end of my virtual visit to Dunbar, so it seems like an appropriate point for some reflection in Belhaven Community Garden, a multi-purpose space which serves and supports the community in lots of different ways. Volunteers Tim Green and Naomi Barnes are talking us through the different areas of the garden and the work that they do. The garden was set up in about 2012 and initially it's it's essentially a space behind Belhaven Community Hospital and it was a farmer's field which was shoulder high in nettles and thistles and um, there's five acres there were five acres of nettles and thistles to to organize and um, and a group of people under the umbrella of Sustaining Dunbar got together to design different spaces within the five acres and we created a sensory garden which is directly behind Belhaven Hospital. Um, we erected a polytunnel and built raised beds. We've got about 14 raised beds. Um, we um, planned out and planted in in the autumn and then in the spring um, the fruit orchard and nuttery and um, and that takes you the orchard takes you right around the edge of the field. The first stop on our journey is the sensory garden accessible from the hospital. The sensory garden is a circular plot which is, um, it gives you the feeling of going into a maze because the, the outside circle is planted up with quite tall trees. So we've got a twisted willow, and we've got mahonia, and we've got quite large plants growing around the outside circle. And then we've got two inner circles and right in the center, we've got a herb garden. And we had stonemasons who are local and they came and they built the wall for the herb garden in the centre of the sensory garden. 
which we then filled with soil. In fact, that was my family, my, my kids and I and my husband spent about three days filling this stone circle with soil. And then we planted in lots of herbs in the center of the sensory garden. And the idea of a sensory garden is to um, allow patients to come out to the hospital and to really enjoy the, the senses of the garden. So the, the smells, um, <clears throat> to be able to appreciate the different colors at different times of year, to be able to be close to plants, to be able to touch plants. Um, it's a very tactile experience and it gives, it's, it's a natural place then to bring patients from the hospital and mostly it's their, it's their family who bring them out. Um, the patients are often right at the end of their lives and their relatives bring them out into the sensory garden to really enjoy, enjoy the space. Um, particularly on a day like today, which is, you know, this warm autumnal day. I think particularly when you do visit someone in hospital, it's great to have a place like that, that you can take them just for a gentle little trundle and we try and keep the paths clear so it is accessible for wheelchairs or, or, or whatever. No, I'd add there's also a, an extra garden built right outside one of the wards of the hospital so people can be wheeled even in their beds just out into, into that area, which we planted up. And I think the staff enjoy the fact that they can have a break and get out into a beautiful environment, um, as well as the patients. At Bellhaven, there's a focus on people growing their own food and produce, with novices and long-term gardeners working side by side. Annual events, such as Apple Day, help raise funds for the garden and also involve the wider community. We, we organise it a little bit like a, a fair, and we had a, an area where people were chopping apples and um, mulching up the, the chopped apples and then pressing the apples to make apple juice. And then we had different people offering different types of things, different stalls. So we had a wood turner and a storyteller and people doing art in the sensory garden, selling um, plants and cakes, apple cakes and um, anything else that has come out, had come out of the garden. And the kids, oh my goodness, it's like a... It's so exciting for them to go and find the apples and find the hazelnuts on the trees. It's like a, it's like a exciting treasure hunt. Digging out potatoes, it's like buried treasure. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it's extraordinary how something so simple can be such fun, especially when you're only, what, four, five, six years old. Um, and we had one dad with um, a child on his shoulders and of course, picking all the apples that no one else could reach. <laughs> yeah, our apple day is really successful that it, for that. It really brings um, young families into the garden. And we've got an area of the field which grows really long grass. And we mowed a kind of maze-like um, path through this long grass. Um, and that, I mean, talk about easy easy entertainment <laughs> and these kids just run around the, the paths um, in this long grass and it's a lot of fun for them. Apple trees and mazes, sounds like the ideal afternoon. But there are lots of other opportunities for people to visit and get involved with the work of the garden. We do, we do have other groups who come regularly or did pre-Covid like um, Cubs and Scouts and Brownies um, and indeed the local primary school um, a group came regularly. 
Um, and some of those groups have their own little patch where they're growing their own things and, and seeing how that's getting on. And at the other end of the age spectrum, the um, Dunbar Dementia Network uh, group came regularly and had a few raised beds where they'd care for things. Um, so it works as well as the sort of the physical facts that we've been talking about, it works sort of socially for a, a range of different people and indeed for the volunteers. Um, again, pre-COVID, we'd have a regular Saturday afternoon where everyone who wanted to would come along as a volunteer and be shown something useful they could do. <laughs> um, and speaking personally, you, you started up asking about how we, how we got involved. You know, that, that I came along three years ago um, with my wife and we just wanted new to the area, something we could join in with and somewhere we could learn more about growing. And those regular every Saturday afternoon work parties um, were a great way to both meet people, enjoy being outdoors and cultivating things, and also to, to learn, just learn so much about how to grow and what works and what doesn't. And, Somebody will usually tell you why. <laughs> um, so that, right. that was a, j just a really nice social experience. And I think some people who, who don't find socialising easy also find it a really good thing to come to because you can take yourself off and, uh, and do a task on your own without engaging too much with people if you want. Or equally, you can spend the afternoon chatting to people as you work alongside them. Um, so that works really well for a whole range of, of, of different sorts of people. And you know, it's just very enjoyable. And Anna runs these meditations, so art meditations. So we did one, for example, um, we went and we found the white dead nettle. And um, while we were, we created these little books and sketched or drew with ink um, and really focused on one single plant while um, Anna was telling us all about what properties the white dead nettle has and the folklore around it, um, any kind of mythology around this plant. And it, it acted as a very therapeutic, um, relaxing type of activity, which was open to anybody who cared to do it. And it was, um, there must, must have been about um, six of us on that occasion. And um, these are the kind of events that um, we're trying to open up to really encourage people to use the space for many different types of activities mm. um, and to allow community, people in the community to come together um, for, for outdoors for reasons other than competitive sports. <laughs> that certainly sounds more like my kind of outdoors. Belhaven is also a beautifully informal learning environment with all sorts of skill sharing and personal development taking place for everyone. So on the field, we've got some real pros who grow really well and their plots of their plots look really immaculate. <laughs> some people are very good at volunteering their expertise and other people you have to kind of pin them down and, and, and pick their brains. Uh, but it is incredible how much you can learn just by watching somebody else. And I think one of the unexpected outcomes for me um, in the garden has been um, really the fact that I've learned to observe, observe plants, observe nature, 
watch how things grow over time, watch other people to see how do they actually grow their um, St. John's wort? How are they growing their beetroot? How, and it, you really learn so much just by watching different approaches. Um, another really unexpected outcome for me has been learning about the spaces and how we need different habitats for different types of wildlife. And we've got people who are passionate, really passionate about bees. Um, we have a bee school. We haven't mentioned the bee school, Tim. Mm. We've got a bee school. <laughs> um, we've got four beehives. And I think at the moment, two of them are um, full of bees. And as a result, obviously, if you have bees, you absolutely have to have as many different types of pollen as you can in order to make sure that they, they feed. And so we have a section of the field which is now being cultivated to grow wildflowers. And that means we've been scraping off the topsoil, which is far too rich for wildflower growth. And then planting lots of yellow rattle to keep the grass down and then planting up different varieties of wildflowers, local wildflowers. Equally um, important are the edible trees. We've got at least 60 wow. hazels, cobnuts. Um, we have 120 apples. These are Scottish heritage varieties. And we have 11 plums and we have um, 10 pear trees. The pear trees are a little disappointing at the moment, <laughs> but the plum trees were amazing this year. Um, and the heritage apples. So because of COVID, we actually couldn't um, have apple day, which is where we use a lot of the apples. So this year I organised different um, harvesting groups because obviously we had to harvest in either pairs or just in groups of three um, because of social distancing. And we have an arrangement with the local community carrot and we've sold over 380 kilograms of fruit, apples, plums and pears over the course of this um, sort of late summer and autumn, um, which has been a kind of replacement revenue for the garden, given that our events can't really raise any money this year. So the working parties to help harvest, to help mulch, to help weed around in the sort of communal spaces, the volunteers that who, who come along and do that are really, really welcome and we really value their input. Tim and Naomi's love for the garden shines through and as volunteers, they're also getting something out of their time at the garden, enjoying that chance to be closer to nature. The bird life in the area has proliferated. Um, so when you go up, you get this fantastic um, background um, of of the songs of all the birds. We had all these funny starlings on the field in the spring. They, they seem to be nesting nearby, I think, and then they moved on later in the year. But they're hilarious birds. They kind of strut around the field and um, um, they, they kind of sparkle in the light because they're kind of metallic. They have a sort of metallic sheen to their feathers. But we've got masses and masses of robins and starlings and sparrows and, um, a few magpies, and I think there is a resident sparrowhawk that you know, regularly visits. So the bird life is really fabulous up there. As well as seeing how other people grow plants and work the land, um, it's given me a chance to see some of the other tools. There are a couple of tool stalls that are for communal use, and you know, I've never had a scythe before. <laughs> they go with a sickle and a scythe and a mattock. Um, as well as uh, more mechanical devices like a, a shredder that we were using just this last weekend to shred sort of excess willow um, and produce compost. Um, we have 
one or two experts in compost who are only too glad to tell you how you should be doing your composting, which is very useful for um, take back to your own garden at home if you have one. Um, so that it, it's been very educational in a in a fun way to for me to learn sorts of different techniques and ways to go about gardening and growing. One of the ways of becoming a more resilient community is for people to be growing food. And if you have the experience of helping grow it successfully at the community garden, it inspires you to do it in your own garden if you have one. And I think that is happening. More and more people are just growing their own food and realising you can do this and it frequently tastes a great deal better than, than the food you can buy in a supermarket. It certainly boosts your confidence, doesn't it? When you... Um when you realise that, oh, is that, is that all you have to do to grow onions? Wow, actually, it's actually not that difficult. Mm. So I can maybe try that in my own home or, or rather in my own garden. Mm. And growing herbs is relatively easy. You, you can do that in a window box. And then the satisfaction of when you're cooking, just going out and snipping a few chives or, or some parsley, whatever it is, from your own herb garden is so much more satisfying. And of course, it's as fresh as can be. Plus, it makes you think completely differently about what you eat and when you eat it. Um, and it really makes you appreciate when you slaved away growing that kale, you're like, I'm going to eat it. And so are my family. <laughs> However much they don't want kale, <laughs> they're going to get a bit of kale. After my conversation with Hannah at the Community Carrot last week, I feel like I really should try some kale. It's on the list. Over the last few months, observing nature has given Naomi and Tim some pause for thought in looking at how things in the garden relate to the outside world. Just seeing how, how resilient nature is. You know, being ignorant, I'm the sort of person who says, well, you don't want to cut those branches off that tree, surely that will damage it. But actually seeing that if you know what you're doing, um, often plants need cutting right back, whether it's trees in an orchard or, or willows that you're going to use the, the sticks to weave with or just numerous different plants that raspberries you know knowing but you need to know the right time to cut them back and the right way to do it so learning that and seeing the results that actually it increases growth it's helpful for me to to understand that but I think it's also just a much more personal lesson about the resilience of nature, um, that things will grow and thrive in all sorts of ways. You just need to treat them right. Um, and certainly I think, you know, there's, there's a much wider lesson for us all at the moment that there's been an awful lot of cutting back going on and things can grow back in all sorts of better ways. Um, so that, you know, that works for nature and hopefully it's gonna work for our community as well. And it's a, it's a really special place. This garden has its own magic. You, you can go out on a, um, on a beautiful sunny day and you can put aside anything and everything that's going on in the world. And you can walk around the orchard, you can sit in the sensory garden, you can admire the colors and the shapes and the sounds and it really does transport you to a different place and makes you completely forget about the worries and the woes of the world. 
yes, you can just focus on a small patch and weed it. <laughs> That's my way of <laughs> forgetting about everything else. And, and it's great, like Naomi said, to be there on your own for an hour, just weeding away, enjoying the fact that you're outside in nature. Um, it's, it's a lovely way to, you have a spare hour, to, to spend it. A final stop now, to talk to Erica Wimbush, part of a group who organise community activities and events in a local village hall in Tinningham. It's a small village to the west of Dunbar. Uh, it's in beautiful countryside, quite near the coast, absolutely fabulous beach, um, surrounded by quite intensively cultivated agricultural land. So growing sort of all sorts of vegetables to, for the mainstream markets. Um, the village itself is like a bit of a one street village. It's, it belongs, it used to belong to the Tinningham Estate, the Earl of Haddington, um, and gradually the houses have been sold off and probably it's about, this, the majority are probably now privately owned, but still quite a lot of rented um, houses in the village. But the village doesn't have a school, it doesn't have a post office, it doesn't have a pub, it doesn't have, it basically what it does have is a village hall. And it also has a cafe, which is thriving. And the village hall is very beautiful, historic building, and we all love it. Um, and uh, I think we three have got to know each other through um, getting involved in organising sort of community activities sort of centred around the village hall, because it is the main thing that's there. Right now, the group are working hard in innovative ways to ensure there's still safe communal activity happening. Online community singing, for example. And they've also been involved in working on the What If project that we've been hearing about. I think we were hooked in a wee bit more from the What If network because it's sort of envisaging what sort of communities do we, would we, do we want to live in? You know, if we're facing a crisis of climate change and, um, you know, the COVID crisis hit us, but there'll be, you know, other, other things that will hit us, you know, in terms of extreme weather events, for example, um, which, and the stronger the community, the more resilient you are in, in terms of organising and helping each other through that. I've been asking everyone I've met if they can tell me what it is that seems to make this all work in and around Dunbar. What can the rest of us be learning from and copying? Can Erica explain that Dunbar magic? I don't think it's magic, Paul. I think I think it's sustaining Dunbar. I mean, it's it's quite an extraordinary, long-standing group of people who are very committed to adapting adapting to the challenge of climate change, but also strengthening communities. There's all it's always there's always new things happening. <laughs> Um, and you can jump in or jump out as as you can. And it attracts people to move to the area. I mean, I've heard of people who've moved to Dunbar because of sustaining Dunbar, because that's sort of focus in a community is what really appeals to them. So, you know, it's, it becomes a bit of a magnet, I think. I mean, I love, I love the way it's so good at um, starting off a project, incubating it, getting it on its legs, and then it flies and it becomes an independent thing. And people might not ever know that that was anything to do with sustaining Dunbar. 
Um, like I was involved when I first came here, I was involved very much involved with the community bakery, um, which was uh, originally, you know, started off by people in sustaining Dunbar when, you know, the loss of the bakery from the high street was a bit of an issue. And but they sort of picked that up and sort of nurtured it into existence. I, I came along at a much later stage um, and got involved in that. So, I mean, there's, and there's lots of projects like that that have had sustaining Dunbar behind them to start with. It all sums up to being, being a very vibrant community. It's been a pleasure to meet and chat with some of the people who helped make Dunbar so special. There's a real meditative quality even to listening to people talking about their work and volunteering. And while I'm sure that, like every place, it's far from plain sailing all the time, you do get an extraordinary sense of hope and community coming across. If you could bottle that, there would be another effective social enterprise to add to the tally. For now, I'm just glad to have had the opportunity to hear these stories in the kind of year that needs a little brightening up. And I'm sure that the What If Project and Sustaining Dunbar will be working hard to ensure that as life returns to more familiar patterns in 2021, they'll be keeping the best of what's worked from these in-between days. Thanks to Naomi Barnes and Tim Green from Belhaven Community Garden, you can read more about the project on the Sustaining Dunbar website, sustainingdunbar.org, or search for Belhaven Community Garden on Facebook. And thank you to Erica Wimbush, Lucy Ackroyd and Carol Crowder from Tinningham Village Hall. You can keep up to date with their activities on tinninghamvillagehall.org.uk. Thanks for listening to A Thousand Better Stories from the Scottish Communities Climate Action Network. Next time, we're going to hear some of the stories collected during our workshops for the European Day of Sustainable Communities. If there's something happening in your community, be sure to let us know. You can drop me a line at stories at scottishcommunitiescan.org.uk We're on Twitter as well, at scottccan and on Facebook. Just search for Scottish Communities Climate Action Network. In the new year, We'll be running workshops to help you tell and share your story of climate action. Check out the website and sign up for our newsletter to keep up to date. We'll finish this week with a song from Karen Dees of the Natural Voice Network and who also leads Dunbar Sings, the community choir we heard from last week. This song is called This Heart. One, two... refuse you I cannot move to your side but I will not lose you this heart is made of steel this heart will hold together this flame 
this heart will burn forever. Thank you. 